It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a Thursday. Scott Foster in here with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as we talk about uh, some of the issues that we have coming your way over the next couple hours. It's a bit overcast and windy here on a Thursday as things certainly have uh, cooled down quite a bit over the last couple days. Let's check in with Susan Littlefield first of all. Well, thanks, Scott. Of course, it's a rainy day, and we will take the rain around here. It's the Angler Journey going to kick everything off at 1219 as we continue talking. Alex does on the pillars. Then Shaylee's going to step in at 1245. As Farm Credit held a webinar yesterday, and she has comments from a large pork producer talking about what's happening in the industry for them and things that they are seeing. And then we'll wrap it all up at 117 as Bryce talks with State FFA Vice President. That's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. And uh, I tell you what, baseball scouts uh, definitely (laughs) can go out on a limb once in a while. This is something. Yeah, 8th grader Cale Fountain from eastern Nebraska, committed yesterday to Florida State. What makes this interesting is that he's just going to be a freshman at Norris. Six foot three, 185 185-pounder, 14 years old, throws a fastball in the low to mid-80s. So remember that name, oh, Cale Fountain. 6'3", 185 is an 8th grader right now. Yeah. It's a large human being. So, yeah, so he's already, he's not even worried about high school. He's looking toward the next level wow. as he verbally committed to Florida State. Huh. That's that's an amazing story. So they must have seen him. You know, he must have played in some yeah. leagues around the country. Or There's something. been some good kids come out of that Norris. Program. Oh, that's true. They've so got some. He wouldn't be the first to eventually move on. Also coming up, we'll talk about the Big Twelve. They've become the first Power Five conference to say they will hold their football media days virtually this summer. I'm interested on how that would work. Although there's no way one of those things you could social distance. No, no, not 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 even at all. I know from I've been I've been to the Big Twelve ones I've been to the Big Ten ones it that doesn't happen. Also, we'll tell you about a great anniversary. It was on this day two thousand and two that Allen Iverson held his epic oh, yes. practice practice press conference in which he uh, uttered the phrase "practice." 22 times. Not a game. Not a no. game. Not a game. Of course, he had a lot going on at that time. Uh, Alan was a different individual, but he had also lost a friend, and that was kind of his excuse for missing practice, although he was he was never the world's toughest practicer. No. Boy, he could play. Oh. The lights came on. The yeah. answer. Man, <laughs> he was the answer for sure. There was not a shot that he didn't like. And he made a lot of He that. did. He did. So, All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. We turn it over to Bob Brogan now. Uh, stocks, despite some bad news, up really well today. Stocks are climbing in morning trading. As uh, reports suggested that even though the economy is still suffering severely, the pain or the pace of the pain may be declining or decelerating. So we're watching that today. Meanwhile, nearly 3.2 million laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week as the business shutdowns caused by the uh, outbreak deepened and uh, the worst U.S. economic catastrophe in decades. Also today, University of Nebraska President Ted Carter announcing that the uh, university intends to freeze its tuition rates for two years in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. Those details, those stories and more coming up.
All right. Thank you so much, Bob. That's all coming up on Minted. The 2020 Census is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us Tuesday, May 19th from 3 to 4 Central, 2 to 3 Mountain on 880 KRVN. Guests include Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, UNK Professor Dr. Peter Longo, a representative from the Center of Public Affairs and more. We'll learn about the importance of the census, the impacts on rural communities, notably on the agricultural sector, challenges faced by officials to ensure everyone is counted, and more. The 2020 census on the next rural radio forum time for us to talk about our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us in around the world and paul perkins in here with me could kind of a we're kind of half and half in the state of nebraska right now aren't we <laughs> definitely a tale of two different weather scenes yeah. here lots of sunshine in western and west central areas of Nebraska and in northwest Kansas, but the cloud cover very prevalent still and holding on strong from along east of a line from about Ainsworth to Broken Bow to Lexington. Then there's a nice carve out of some sunny skies from Holdage and points on to the southwest and southwest Nebraska and western Kansas. Now that cloud cover then along and east of a line from about Kearney down to, oh, we'll say Russell, Kansas. And some of these uh, showers and thunderstorms pack in a pretty good punch. Uh, Osborne, Kansas, and North Central Kansas with some fairly strong activity right now. Most of it on the light to moderate side. This rain has developed a lot more as it's moved on to the east this morning. It was just a very thin band and didn't last very long in western and central areas. But right now, a fairly thick line of rain, especially along east of a line from Columbus to Omaha, and then also along in southeast of a line, uh, Nebraska City to Osborne, Kansas, into the now, Kansas there. now, there's a chance over the next few evenings that uh, if there's any precipitation there, it may come as a solid form a little bit. Huh? Yeah, some white stuff, possibly. Yeah. Oh, some yeah. snowflakes mixed in. Not going to, of course, mount to a whole lot since we do have, of course, the warm soil temperatures. But, yeah, a few snowflakes could miss in. Right now, we have most of our temperatures in central and eastern areas where the cloud cover is in the low and mid-50s. But we do have some temperatures into the low 60s in quite a few locations in basically southwest Nebraska, west central Nebraska, into northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. The slightly unsettled weather, mostly light rain and a few thunderstorms expected to continue all the way through Tuesday as we see weak disturbances track to the southeast. Now, today through tonight, chances for rain and some thunderstorms a little more likely into central and east areas of Nebraska and Kansas with low pressure tracking southeast through to Nebraska. And as Scott mentioned, if it's cold enough and that precipitation is still lingering, maybe some snowflakes mixing in for tonight. So don't be surprised if you see the white stuff out there. It won't be an illusion. Tomorrow will be dry with sunshine and high pressure moving overhead. Scattered rain is possible during the day on Saturday before it stays mainly dry for Saturday night through Sunday. Small chances of rain and, yes, once again, possibility of some snow back for Sunday night into Monday night during those colder periods. Slight chances of thunderstorms in the forecast also for Tuesday through Tuesday night. Any rain amounts expected to be mainly light with these systems. Patchy frost will be possible for tonight through Monday night when overnight lows drop into the 30s. Now, it will be warmer and drier by the middle of next week with the building ridge of high pressure. Right now, no hard freezes really on the horizon. In our long-term forecast, cooler than normal temperatures predicted the early half of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. Seasonal or near-normal temperatures take hold for Wednesday through May 20th. 
Above normal rainfall is indicated for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the 20th, especially early on next week. Taking a look at soil temperatures from 7 this morning and 4 inches down, nearly all of Nebraska into northeast Kansas, with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, far southwest Nebraska, then western, central, and southern areas of Kansas, soil temperatures in the low to mid 50s. In the regional drought monitor, we are seeing that uh, prospect of drought expanding. Nebraska right now, though, still remains about 88% drought-free. It continues to be abnormally dry along the southern one to two rows of counties from the southwest corner to around Beatrice. Kansas dropped 14 percentage points to now 48% drought-free. So over over half of Kansas experiencing some form of dryness. The area along and west of a line from Belleville to Hutchinson, abnormally dry. From Hayes into southwest Kansas, moderate to severe drought. Extreme drought found along right around Syracuse in southwest Kansas. Weather factors driving the markets include a sharp cold wave the next five days in the central U.S. and rain chances in southern Brazil and the Black Sea region. Midwest temperatures may fall below freezing several nights on into early next week. That's going to be watched for frost on recently emerging crops and developing wheat. In the southern plains, drought conditions stressing the wheat. Standard rain today will do little to ease the dryness, and below freezing temperatures the next five days may cause concern for developing to reproductive wheat in Nebraska. Kansas wheat areas could see some scattered frost, too. Across the Black Sea region, moderate scattered rain will continue through tomorrow in Ukraine and the weekend in Russia. One to two inches and locally more in Russia could reverse much of their dryness. Southern Brazil rain chances increase over the next week. A prospect that is important for their second crop corn. Central Brazil likely not to receive enough to ease recent dryness. Okay. All right. Well, we don't need any of that uh, hard freeze stuff for our emergency, emerging crops right now. That's for sure. No, exactly. Especially, you know, matter of days ago, we were hitting 90 on the temperatures. Yeah. You, you just never know what you're going to get this time of year. Yep. Need some heat units, that's for sure. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. entrepreneurship journey celebrating success embracing failure and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you joy comes from sandpaper not from silk thanks so much for joining this week we're exploring another pillar of the angler program grit program director tom field says the pillar stems back to our predecessors well when we think about grit we think about the emigrants who came to this country in the very early days um, and it took grit to forge a new life, to forge a business, to create a productive agriculture in the middle of the wilderness. And our saying that we love the most about grit is no grit, no pearl. If you're not willing to roll up your sleeves, work hard, sacrifice, pay the price, you won't experience the glory and the joy that comes from building something that you can call your own. And when you get to the end, what you find out was it wasn't the destination that mattered. It was the journey. And a journey filled with grit turns us into a much more joyous and fulfilled people. And although there are countless examples of grit in the Angler program, Tom says the program's founder is the epitome of the pillar. The perfect image of grit is our founder, Paul Angler. And when Paul was 11 years old, he was able to work one half day a week at the local sale barn. And Paul bought one day at the auction while his father was away 
a set of feeder cattle at the auction. After the sale was over, the, the sale barn owner walked up to me and said, well, Paul, that was a nice set of calves you bought. Um, how are you going to pay me? And Paul said, 11-year-old kid, you're going to have to finance me. And so he did. He, the, the sale barn owner financed Paul. But he, you know, he's like, he got to thinking, boy, when my dad gets home, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Dad gets home, they drive out into the pasture, and, and, and as they come back out, his dad says, you know, Paul, looks like the herd grew. What happened? And Paul told him. And his dad said, well, I think we can get you a better set of terms. Let's go to the bank and refinance these cattle. When they came out the door of the bank on the street, right there in front of that bank, Paul's father turned to him and he said, Paul, I'm proud of you. That was the moment that grit was rewarded. And Tom says the core of grit is to declare its presence. Entrepreneurship, business ownership is not easy. It is tough stuff. And yes, sometimes we fail. But the reality is, is the very republic in which we live was built because people were willing to try something that others thought made no sense. The Declaration of Independence. Remember, it's not the suggestion of independence. It was not we'd like to be independent. It was, we declare ourselves to be independent. This is exactly the core of grit. We make a declaration, and it doesn't mean that we're being audacious. It doesn't mean that we're being arrogant. We simply declare to ourselves and to our creator, I am going to use the skills and talents I've been given, and we're going to build something. Director Tom Field says you don't have to have a business to live out the pillar of grit. Take your perseverance, your grit, your steel, your inner character, and create something that adds value to the world. And you'll be rewarded, and you'll find that joy comes from sandpaper, not from silk. Learn more about the six pillars of the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, former Creighton women's assistant basketball coach Matt Frisky is coming back to Nebraska. Frisky confirmed last night that he has been named athletic director at Grand Island Northwest. He had spent the past three seasons as the women's basketball coach at Hillsdale College. That's a Division II school in Michigan. Eighth grader Cale Fountain announced his commitment to Florida State baseball yesterday. If you haven't heard about Fountain, he'll be just a freshman at Norris High School in the fall. The six foot three, one hundred and eighty-five pound, fourteen-year-old throws a fastball in the low to mid eighties. The Seminoles see him as a potential two-way player. Well, it's less than four months before the scheduled kickoff of the college football season, and not one of the 14 schools in the Big Ten Conference can say for sure that they will have students back on campus this fall. Of course, that's a critical step for sports. The most resolute about having students back has been Purdue. They say they expect students will be back on campus in typical numbers. Now, there are 130 major college football teams spread across 41 states. The goal is to have all of those teams start the upcoming season around the Labor Day weekend. The hope is that everyone will be able to play the same amount of games. The Big 12 has become the first Power 5 conference to say it will hold its football media days virtually. About 500 media members are usually credentialed to attend the event. This year it's scheduled to be held July 21st and 22nd at AT AT&T Stadium near Dallas. 
And do you remember this one? It was on this date in 2002 that Allen Iverson won on a legendary rant after he missed practice with the 76ers after the death of a friend. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. Iverson certainly wasn't original in his time in the NBA. He would go on to utter the word practice 22 times during a back and forth with reporters who were asking about why he had missed a workout. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. University of Nebraska President Ted Carter today made a major announcement on making higher education more affordable for students and families. So today I'm uh, pleased to announce that uh, we intend to freeze our tuition rates for the University of Nebraska for two years. Now we have not done this, uh, this type of move in, uh, in recent history. Uh, to give you some exacts on that, we're talking about uh, academic years uh, 2021 going into 22, as well as academic year 22 going into 23. Carter says the COVID-19 pandemic is driving the decision, saying that when it's over, Nebraska will need an educated workforce to help the state recover. The change will impact undergraduate and graduate students, as well as on-campus students and remote learners. During Thursday's news conference, Carter also talked about his plan to have classes on campus come fall of this year. He said that even though his plans on having students on the four Nebraska campuses in the fall, things will look a little different due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This will include social distancing and the possibility of the continuation of some remote learning. Four more Nebraska residents have died of the coronavirus, bringing the statewide total to 86 since the pandemic began. The Department of Health and Human Services reported the deaths on Wednesday evening. One death was in Hall County. Two others were both men in their 60s with underlying health conditions, one in Adams County and the other in Colfax County. No details were given on the fourth death. The state has also confirmed the first coronavirus case in Thomas County. Nebraska has 6,771 confirmed cases as of Wednesday evening. Tyson Foods plans to reopen its Dakota City, Nebraska beef plant after closing the facility following a surge of coronavirus cases among workers. Tyson closed the plant Friday and initially planned to reopen in four days, but pushed that back to Thursday after awaiting coronavirus test results. The plant employs 4,300 people and is among the largest employers for neighboring Sioux City, Iowa. A collision between an ATV and a pickup in rural Gosper County has resulted in the death of one person. The Gosper County Sheriff's Office was called to the scene northwest of Holbrook and north of the Furnace-Gosper County line shortly after 4.30 p.m. on Wednesday. The investigation showed that a Yamaha ATV that was ridden by a 17-year-old female and a 15-year-old female traveling east entered Drive 415 from a private driveway. The ATV was struck by a Ford pickup that was southbound on Drive 415. The pickup was driven by 48-year-old Chad Johnson of rural Cambridge. It has yet to be determined who the driver of the ATV was. The 17-year-old female, Alicia Fisher of rural Gosper County, was deceased at the scene. The 15-year-old female of McCook was transported to Cambridge Hospital and then life-flighted to CHI Health Good Samaritan Hospital in Kearney. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, 
I'm Austin Jacobson. The Nebraska Cattlemen wrapping up their four-part series of the Black Swan event. It'll take place this Thursday, May 7th at 7 o'clock Central Time. It'll discuss meat industry merchandisers. What leverage do they have? To register for the webinar, please go to NebraskaCattlemen.org. Don't worry, if you can't sit down to watch the webinar, you can tune in live starting at 7 o'clock, May 7th, listening to it live right here on KRVN. Livestock producers continue to adapt as best they can. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're going to hear from a pork producer from Marshall, Minnesota. It's Mike Borum. He was recently part of a panel put on by Farm Credit. He was on the panel with a cattle producer and a poultry producer. The point of the panel was to look at the COVID-19 impacts on the livestock industry, more specifically our producers who find themselves in a unique position right now. Borum first talks about the changes they've had to implement since the pandemic really started to hit the U.S. Well, the, the impact um, for us has been on a couple fronts, with the first being human health. We have 45 employees, 40 contract growers. Um, health is a priority, and we, we've taken actions to increase social distancing, uh, mitigate the risks of the virus spreading, followed CDC recommendations and then, um, but as part of critical infrastructure, our operations uh, day to day have have generally continued as normal. Pigs need to be fed, feed needs to be made, livestock needs to be cared for. Uh, Animal welfare is is always, as as a pig farmer is always priority number one. So so in general, things have continued as normal. Uh, On the other front, the, the closure of packing plants over the last few weeks has has crippled our ability to operate as, as a supply chain. So the pig cycle operates continually. Um, the pigs that are being sold right now came from sows that were bred about 10 months ago. Uh, so from conception, from the time a pig is bred until the time the pig is marketed, there's about 10 months of time. So if we look back over the last 10 months, we have sows bred, pigs in process from, from every stage of production. So when a piglet is born, it nurses on the sow for about 21 days in our system. Then we move those pigs to a nursery where they spend six to seven weeks. From nursery, they move to a finisher where they spend about 16 to 17 weeks. And then from there, they move to market. Well, over the course of the past few weeks, we've lost our ability to market and started to create a backlog. And this, the sows continue to farrow, pigs continue to be weaned. Um, and then at the same time, the market pigs that we do have have gotten larger and larger. And, and at some point here, they're gonna hit, if, if we're not able to market, they're gonna hit a point where they're too large for the supply chain and we're gonna face euthanasia. So bringing that all together, um, we have about 9,000 market hogs that are backlogged right now. We've taken some actions on our sow farms to reduce output, to try and create space in the supply chain. But, but by no means have we been able to uh, to, to, to alleviate the backlog of those 9,000 head. In addition, prices have plummeted. Um, you can't even s- really sell a live pig right now. But, uh, an example I use is the, the buying stations are, are being locked at night so that nobody drops pigs off. I think that speaks to the to the value of, of what a pig is. Uh, fortunately, sure I was able to sell some last week for $41 a pig. And and that, that made me happy. But we still... Yeah. We're facing about a hundred dollar loss on those pigs sold. So, 
the impacts um, have been crazy, unprecedented, and, and nothing we could have imagined. Washington has worked to get legislation in place to support agriculture. The Small Business Administration announced Monday eligibility for agricultural businesses in the SBA's Economic Injury Disaster Loans and Advance Programs. And Borbum says while they are thankful, it's not enough. I, I'm thankful for what has been done by the USDA, Congress, and, and the administration so far. Um, I'll first for my statements with, with I appreciate what's been done. But it's not nearly enough. Um, put things into perspective, the, the the CFAP program that USDA released a few weeks ago uh, was a you know billion dollar program. I think 1.6 billion dollars allocated to, to pork. However, payments are caps at 125 thousand dollars per commodity um, per producer. So to put that in perspective, our payment on hogs would be about 125 thousand dollars. I referenced earlier that we're backed up. On, on marketing is about 9000 The normal value of those pigs is $1.26 million. So we're, we're, we're trying to put a, a Band-Aid on a knife wound here, and it, it's just not going to cut it. Um, we estimate that our operation directly supports over 100 families. So it's, it's and, and like I said before, I have my five immediate family members in here involved in the operation, my parents, my siblings, um, employees that have worked for us for 25 years, contract growers that have worked with us for 30 years. And and right now, all of that is in jeopardy. And, and I'm, we're just one operation. This is replicated from county to county, from town to town uh, across rural America. And, and and we need more action than, than that. Uh, the, the, the payment cap needs to be raised or, or else this crisis long-term is only going to get worse. Uh, the last thing I'll add too is we did participate in the PPP program and, and those funds are, are helpful. But from a cost of production standpoint, about 5% of our, uh, of our cost is labor. The rest of it, as, as Butch, you indicated, is overhead fixed costs. And then the other huge component, 65 or 60 percent, is uh, is feed. And animals have to be fed every day. We, we're not a factory. We can't just shut things down and come back in six weeks and pick them back up again. We have to continue to feed every single day. Again, hearing from Mike Borbum. He is a pork producer from Marshall, Minnesota, as he sat in on a farm credit service panel looking at the COVID-19 impacts on livestock producers. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks were climbing and trading on Wall Street as reports suggested that even though the economy is still suffering severely, the pace of pain may be decelerating. Major indexes were all up more than 1% in the early going. Another 3.2 million U.S. workers applied for jobless benefits last week, bringing the total over the last seven weeks to 33.5 million. It's a shocking number, but it's also the fifth straight week of decline since hitting a peak in late March. Several companies also cited signs that the worst may be behind them, at least in parts of their businesses. Nearly 3.2 million laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week as the business shutdowns caused by the viral outbreak deepened the worst U.S. economic catastrophe in decades. 
Roughly 33.5 million people have now filed for jobless aid in the seven weeks since the coronavirus began forcing millions of companies to close their doors and slash their workforces. That is the equivalent of one in five Americans who had been employed back in February when the unemployment rate had reached a 50-year low of just 3.5%. Staff at dozens of Illinois nursing homes have called off a strike set for tomorrow morning after the workers' union reached a deal with nursing home owners. The Service Employees International Union represents more than 10,000 workers at 100 nursing homes, mostly in the Chicago area. University of Nebraska System President Ted Carter held a news conference today to make a major announcement on making higher education more affordable for students and families. In an attempt to offer a little extra hope and predictability, Carter said the university intends to freeze its tuition rates for two years. He says we have not done this type of move in recent history. Carter said COVID-19 is driving the decision, saying that when it's over, Nebraska will need an educated workforce to help the state recover. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rook. Protect yourself and others from COVID-19. Nebraskans can help protect themselves from the coronavirus and other respiratory infections by staying home if you are sick and avoiding close contact with those who are sick. Washing hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. If soap and water aren't available, use an alcohol-based sanitizer. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces. For more information, visit krvn.com. This news get on the Rural Radio Network. Today we're talking with Nebraska FFA State Vice President Faith Santana. Like many other organizations, the FFA has had to adapt to the changing times and has moved their convention online. Faith, first, how are things going for you and your team in the midst of these challenging times? It's been a wild ride with lots of different changes, but we've been pushing through and controlling what we can control and just trying to encourage members and advisors and chapters through this time and um, really just zone in on the fact that we're family as um, an organization, that we're here for each other, and that's something that is still holding true uh, through this time, and we're really excited for what's to come. Well, uh, coronavirus or not, a uh, new Nebraska FFA state officer team is going to be announced on Thursday afternoon. Tell us about this uh, exciting announcement and what you all have planned to uh, elect the next seven state FFA officers. Yeah, so it's going to be on a Facebook Live this Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Um, after that, I'm sure we'll post it on other social media platforms, but it'll be live on Facebook. Um, we'll have our nominating committee chair come say a few words and then announce the new seven state officers. And actually, yesterday and today, we're um, introducing the 12 finalists that are in the running. So there were six posted yesterday and six will be posted later today. So you can tune into Nebraska FFA's Facebook or Instagram to meet the finalists if you'd like. Is there any one piece of advice you'd give those 12 candidates who are vying all for those seven positions? Uh, uh, as you reflect on your time uh, preparing for that uh, announcement, what would you share just one piece of advice with them? You have a purpose, and maybe that purpose isn't to serve in the Nebraska FFA state officer position, and maybe it is, but as long as you put 110% forth, you're going to fulfill your purpose that you have here on Earth. So that is the next state FFA officer team announcement, again, happening on Thursday afternoon on Facebook Live. We're excited about that announcement, but uh, we're also doing kind of a virtual convention to highlight some of the student success over the past year. Tell us about uh, when that's going to take place and what that's going to look like. So on May 21st and 22nd, we'll be releasing videos um, recognizing our sponsors, members, and people who have really pushed us throughout the year. 
um, us state officers will give our retiring addresses and we'll recognize those that um, have really pushed us along the way. And this is all going to take place May 21st and 22nd. Um, so tune into uh, basically every social media platform Nebraska FFA has because we really want to push it out there. Uh, I'm sure as you've had a lot of alone time, uh, as you're quarantining yourself, you've been able to look back on the past year. Uh, has there been any memories in particular that stand out to some of them you'll cherish for a lifetime as, as you've served in the Nebraska FFA Association? Oh, yeah, definitely anything that involves members. I feel like every time I was around um, a chapter or even just an individual member, I learned something different, even if it was just like a small life lesson that they didn't even realize they taught me about authenticity or intentionality or anything like that. Um, the members are really what made this all worth it, especially the first time getting thrown in with members during cult was just a whirlwind of emotions because, um, you know, we were fresh, we were new, and we were just hoping that we were doing our best. And I feel like that's when I really learned the most about what it meant to serve. Well, let's look forward a little bit. What's next for you? You'll wrap up your year of service for the Nebraska FFA and return to hopefully uh, normal society soon. What's, uh, what's life going to look like after the Blue Jacket for you? I'm going to continue my education at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, majoring in political science with a focus in national security. Um, hopefully, I can get an internship at the Capitol um, this year or in the coming years. Um, and my end goal is to work for the Department of Homeland Security in the national security sector, but my plans change almost every day, so we'll see where I actually end up. <laughs> Nebraska FFA State Vice President Faith Santana joining us to discuss their virtual convention this year. I'm Rice Duskate reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Patton on the Rural Radio Network. I'm talking now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, a little bit more of a just a general bullish risk on feel across the entire market sector. It definitely hit the grains despite the fact not the greatest export sales out today. WASD coming up next week. So is today a one-off feel-good day or can we expect maybe some follow-through buying tomorrow? Well, I'd pump the brakes probably on if it's up in the morning. I don't think you chase it. Um, you know, this is a China today. So, you know, I, I think behind the scenes, and this is just me guessing here, but I would imagine President Trump's been rattling the saber a little bit. He looks at the first quarter of the year, says, you know, you promised to buy 30 billion bushels of goods. You only bought three. It's a quarter, four months of the year has passed. When, is, when are you coming into the store? And, you know, I think that they're going to wake up here needing to buy our products, especially given that Brazil is facing huge, huge hurdles with their, their COVID problems. Uh, they've gone the opposite route than we did. They did not shut down. They're keeping everything open. So for now, um, you know, things are still moving, but there's an expectation here that maybe Brazil won't be a player in the, in the, in the game here for the next couple of months. And honestly, that's what we need to see. We need to see competition go away and maybe mix in a weather problem or two, and the next thing you know, we're cooking. You know, we're starting to see some of the early analyst estimates for next week's WASD. And looking out at that 2021 crop, and folks are saying, you know, possibility of a 3 billion bushel carryout, where does that, that's got to put a pretty steep limit here on where corn can move. I think it's pretty, pretty amazing, can do a lot of things with their balance sheet, though. And I wouldn't be shocked, again, if it's down below 3. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to be bullish here. I, I'm sitting here. Wanted to be bullish. I mean, it's 320. It doesn't go to 320 new crop, 330 new crop corn for no reason. You know, I understand the ethanol story, and that's the report on Tuesday is basically going to give us a nice look in the mirror about uh, at how we're going to look come September 1st when 
you know, we've got crowds coming on the ground. And that's really a scary thing for somebody like me. It's like, well, the, log- the logical thing is to sell it. But it's May. And if you've sold the middle of May in the last decade, you've paid it yourself at some point over the next 30 to 45 days. So I just feel like you got to be patient here. Keep waiting for some sort of something bullish. And, you know, it's hard at 360, 370 new crop corn. It's not hard here. This is where it's easy. You just sit and let it trade. But when that old crop starts to move, gets up to 340, 350, that's where I get hard. hard. I don't know what to tell guys. You know, if you're just sitting on mic the whole time, you know, that's obviously not a good enough price for you, but that might be what you get. So uh, I, I still like courage calls. I know it's not a, it's not a real popular thing for people because have a call option on so that again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week, Grain. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVM. If you miss anything or want to hear any of our interviews or segments, you can listen to the midday podcast at krvn.com or by subscribing on Spotify or iTunes. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Davini Motor. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.